I want to introduce to you someone who, like many of you in this room, was a student at the University of Washington before you were born, most of you. Uh, and he, in that time, played uh, on the men's basketball team here where he was the captain his senior year. His junior and senior year, his, his teammates voted him most inspirational on, on their team uh, before he went on to a five-year career in the National Basketball uh, Association. Following that... He became a player uh, and then coached for Athletes in Action, which is this, this athletic ministry out uh, that, is, that is really sponsored by our friends at Campus Crusade uh, for Christ. And through a few stops along the way, he's now back, a dog leading the dogs here uh, at the University of Washington. Yes, that, as I had thought, there's many of you in this room that would probably consider yourselves card-carrying citizens of Romarville. And uh, while, while the coach is, is here tonight, not with the sharp purple jacket that I love it, uh, when he wears, as he paces the sidelines and encourages the guys uh, on the team, no doubt you have seen him as somebody with a ton of passion that he brings to the basketball court. And what I think you will see tonight is that he has a passion for things beyond the things that happen on the hardwood. So it is my great, great pleasure to introduce to you the coach, Lorenzo Romar. Oh, getting me hyped now. You're getting me hyped. Let me hear that one more time. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's big time. All right, let me come back down. You can make faces at me up here. You can do whatever you want. These lights are so bright, I can't see you. So uh, whatever you want to do, if you want to look at me with disgust, that's fine. I'll never know the difference. But uh, I was here probably five or six years ago at the end. Haven't been back for a while, but I uh, see it's still kicking heavy. Still have a lot of people coming out, a lot of enthusiasm, which is great. I'm just glad I was asked uh, to come back. I appreciate that. The good news for you is uh, wherever you sit or stand, God is and has been working in your life. Molding and shaping you to be something that he wants you to be. Not for your purpose, but for his. Understand that. Not necessarily for your purposes, but for his. But because he loves you, you get to enjoy that plan as well. I have found that out in my own life. took me a while to figure it out. But eventually, I did figure out that God had been working in my life when I wasn't even thinking about him and had no idea that he was working and working with my life and molding me to be something that he wanted me to be, again, for his purposes, not necessarily mine. Ten years old, about this tall. Really, really, really skinny. Skinny people prefer to be called thin. I was skinny. Real skinny with big feet. And I was playing one day in the fifth grade and made a basket at recess. And it was so good, 
I worked to, no, to, to make another basket and another and another, and I enjoyed it. And I fell in love with the game of basketball. I had a sick obsession with basketball. I mean, really, a sick obsession. I'll call it that for now. I'm going to change the way I describe it a little bit later. I grew up in Compton, California, right outside of Los Angeles. There, the pro basketball team was the Los Angeles Lakers. The college basketball teams were UCLA and USC. Whenever I could watch or listen, I would watch them play. I'd watch them play basketball because I wanted to learn. See, I was obsessed. I had to get better. Whenever I had a chance, I had something to do. I was doing something with basketball, collecting basketball cards, reading them, studying them, learning all these players, watching the games, watching, trying to learn something from them. Then I'd go try it out on the court myself. I just, I'd just love to play. Everyone else was doing something else, and they could go do it. I stayed on the basketball court. I just, just loved this game. The only problem was I wasn't great, wasn't a great basketball player. Uh, again, didn't have the natural ability, didn't have the size, but I kept playing and I just kept working. Got to a point where I was a freshman in high school, and I remember as a freshman in high school being five, three and a half, right? <laughs> five, three and a half now. I'm a freshman in high school, still skinny and still loving to play. I wanted to go somewhere where they played really good basketball because I love to play. So I wanted to play with the best. I went to a high school called Verbum Day High School. It's in South Central Los Angeles. And I remember being in the eighth grade playing against all these different players in some kind of like travel teams. And I remember the best players that I played against, I, I had not seen anyone outside of my area this good. These guys were really good. My first day, I get to Verbum Day, all those different players were at the same school. And they all played guard. And I was a guard. So as a freshman, I played on the freshman team. I remember coming off the bench. As a sophomore, I grew. I was 5'6". <laughs> as a sophomore. And a couple of my buddies that were sophomores were better basketball players than I was, and they decided to go out for the varsity team. Now, the varsity team was one of the top varsity uh, basketball teams in the entire country. I mean, they were really good. These guys were going to go out, so I went out. I've been working hard. I've been playing. That practice was a two-hour practice, and when the practice concluded, the coach cut me from the team. So I was on that varsity for two hours. <laughs> So, okay, it's all right. I didn't know if I was going to make it anyway. Five, six, I wasn't a great basketball player. The next day, I went out for the junior varsity. So I'm going to make this team. It's junior varsity. These are more kids my age. So I go out, another two-hour practice, and the practice ended, and coach told me I was cut from the junior varsity. So that's twice two days. At the end of practice, though, coach said, if anyone feels they were treated unfairly, see me afterwards, and we'll talk about it. So the other guys that were cut were walking off complaining, 
Man, just because his mother gives money to the church, he made the team. I'm way better than him. You know, just all these excuses, politics, man. As they all leave, man, I'm still over here. That light is not so bright over here. As they all leave, I double back and go to the coach. Coach, uh, I think maybe uh, I, I, I uh, could get another chance, maybe. Oh, you know what? Come back tomorrow. I think it was a weekend, a Saturday morning. He said, you come back tomorrow. And I'm sweet. So I think it was like a 10 o'clock practice. I got there about 8 o'clock. <laughs> I was just outside the door waiting, and finally coach comes in with the basketballs in this net, and he's over his shoulder. Good morning. He walks in the gym, and I'm there. I'm shooting. It's just myself and him. He's not saying a word to me. Everyone else gets there, and the coach blows the whistle. It's time to practice. He said, everyone line up on the baseline, and where is the guy that wanted another chance? He just put me on blast in front of the whole team. Uh, right here. Come out here, young man. So I walk out. He says, Londell. He calls Londell out. Londell Theus was 6'3". In the 10th grade. <laughs> Londell ended up playing in the NBA for the Clippers. I promise you, Londell was no better when he was with the Clippers than when he was in the 10th grade. <laughs> Same guy. He never got better. But he said, you two play one-on-one. -on -one. Full court. Londell and myself. Every basket counted for one point. I remember Londell beat me five to three. He said, okay, everyone get some shots up. He said, young man, come with me. He brings me over. He says, you know, you want to make this team, but you can't even beat Londell. <laughs> I want to say, hey, man, no one in the school could beat Londell. <laughs> That's not right. He said, look, you can stay on the team because I see you have a lot of passion. He said, but you're not going to play. So I said, forget this dude. So I went down to what was called the sophomore team, the B team, the scrub team. But I played. I was still playing. I loved to play so much. I was disappointed but not frustrated and not thinking of giving up. My parents moved to another part of town. So I had to transfer high schools. As a junior, I grew to be five foot nine inches tall. I made the varsity, but came off the bench. As a senior, I was five foot 11 inches tall and was playing pretty good as a senior. I was getting better. I was improving, still working all the time. And our coach decided that we weren't going to be very good. So he decided that he was going to have a youth movement. When you're a senior in high school and they're talking youth movement, that's a jacked up deal. And so I didn't play very much the rest of the year. I didn't have one scholarship offer. I didn't have one school that was interested in me. I tried to walk on at the local community college by my house, which was Compton Community College. This was May of my senior year. 
I walked over to the school, found the coach, met with him, asked for an opportunity. He said he had already had his team for the next year. When you're at community college, you don't know who's on your team until the first day of school. <laughs> that was a nice way of saying beat it, basically. I finally found a school seven miles from my house, Cerritos Community College, and that's where I went and walked on and developed as a freshman, came off the bench as a sophomore, just worked so hard all the time I was working and came back and I uh, was the most valuable player of our team. I was now six foot two, height I am now, six foot two, and I was walking outside the gym one day after our season ended, actually two days after our season ended in the playoffs, and a guy sees me as I'm walking out of our gym door. He says, excuse me, could you tell me where I could find Lorenzo Romar? And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm Lorenzo. He says, oh, hi. He says, my name is Denny Houston. I'm an assistant coach at the University of Washington. We watched you play and we're very interested and was just wondering if you'd like to visit our school. That blew me away. I had a chance. I was offered a scholarship. Now, there were some other schools recruiting me, but I couldn't make my high school junior varsity team. Now I was getting offered a scholarship. You see, I had just continued to work in between my freshman and sophomore years. I would go into the gym and spend six to eight hours in that gymnasium trying to perfect my skills so that I could eventually play at the highest level. I don't know why I thought I could play at the highest level. I was getting cut. I was skinny. I was short. I didn't have a whole lot of speed. I don't know why I thought that, but I didn't think otherwise. I didn't see it any other way. I don't understand. I ended up coming to the University of Washington. I played my junior year and averaged six points a game. Kept getting better, and in my senior year, I averaged nine points a game. Well, as my classmates during my senior year were asking me what I was going to be doing next year, when you're a basketball player aspiring to play in the NBA and people are asking you what you're going to do next year, that's not a good sign. They probably feel you're just going to do something other than basketball. There was a man named Pete Newell who was a chief scout for the Golden State Warriors. He told them that if they had a chance in the later rounds, how many know how many rounds are in the NBA draft? Two rounds. Two rounds. When I came out in 1980, there were 10 rounds. Thank goodness. <laughs> he said, if you have a pick in the later rounds, he said, you might want to draft this kid. He plays with a lot of enthusiasm and passion. He says, you know, you can tell he just loves the game. He's one that could develop later. So the draft comes along. First round, no. Second round, no. Went all the way to the seventh round. I was the 141st player chosen in the 1980 NBA draft. Now, you have to understand, I was skinny, couldn't make the team, and now I just got drafted to the NBA. I could have quit right there. That was it. I got drafted. 
No one gave me a chance to get drafted. Now, it didn't matter to me, even though I was 141st, there was some swimmer dude drafted ahead of me. (laughs) Some dude that ran a decathlon was drafted ahead of me. Didn't even play basketball. That's the honest truth. Telling. (laughs) Not like the other stuff I said was a lie, but that was true. I didn't care. I got drafted. And I go to camp, and I work, and I work, and I work. And finally, the coach let me know that I had made the team. Unbelievable. I was so excited. I remember our first game that we had. I got to the game early and put my Golden State Warrior jersey on, and I was looking at it in the mirror, (laughs) faking myself out. I was so excited. That first game was against the Los Angeles Lakers. My boys from Compton decided they were going to get together and watch the game on television because it was the Golden State Warriors up in Oakland. It was being televised back in Los Angeles. They called me up before the game. They said, man, we're looking at the the, uh, the t- television guide, and they have you in there. We're all going to watch the game, man. I said, sweet. I said, make sure... You watch when they show the bench, because that's, that's where I'll be now. <laughs> Keep your eye over there. So the horn sounds. It was sold out. The people came to see the Lakers, even though it was a home game for us. <laughs> they came to see the Lakers. So I tell our guys, we go out. You know, one, two, three, Warriors. The starters walk out on the floor. And I said, let's go, man. We can kill these fools, man. They were the world champs, you know, but... <laughs> I was hyped. It went out on the floor, and I went, sat at the end of the bench by myself, not because I was being rebellious, but you see, I had never been to an NBA game sitting this close for free. (laughs) Hey, 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 leave me alone. About to watch the Lakers here. So I'm sitting there watching the game. Y'all be careful here. I'll spit in it when I'm talking. Sitting there watching the game six minutes into the first quarter. Our coach looks down at the end of the bench. There had not been a substitution for either side yet, by either side. He looks at the end of the bench. He says, Lorenzo. I said, what? He said, let's go. Let's get in there. I said, you get in that game right now? Yeah. Let's go. Let's go. I get in, man. Oh. I go in, and I walk in, and it seemed like the lights got brighter all of a sudden when I walked on the floor. And I'm playing in that game for about a minute. I had been on offense. Now I had the ball, and I passed to one of my teammates, and I went to run away to the other side, and, and I noticed, I don't know why I hadn't noticed that first minute, the defender guarding me was a guy named Magic Johnson. <laughs> I remember it like it was yesterday. I could see it. His chest was right here. <laughs> Number 32. 
Los Angeles Lakers. He was right there. There was no TV screen this time. I could have plucked one of the hairs off of his goatee. He was right there. But you see, I'm from Compton. I've seen it all. This is how I reacted to that after I passed it and ran and saw magic. Magic. I wanted to look at my teammates. Man, this is Magic Johnson, man. This dude is big time. I promise you that's what crossed my head, came through my, my thinking. I, I was wild. Then I remembered I was in the game and I ran over. That same game. I was guarding a guy named Norm Nixon. You probably never heard of Norm Nixon. He was all-star guard. But they had a play called Fist. He would come down. We knew it. We scouted it. We practiced for it. He'd say Fist, and he'd have the ball. And it was a guy named Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He was seven foot two inches. And whenever Kareem caught the ball around, if he didn't shoot it, he'd hold the ball up like this and wave it. So he's already seven two. Now he's up there like eleven foot two inches. The ball holding up. When Norm passed him the ball, he was going to cut off of him looking for a layup. So when he cut off, I'm cutting off with Norm, and as I'm backing up, I can see Kareem out of the corner of my eye holding that ball up like that. And I say to myself, man, if you time it, you can get that ball. So I backpedal here, time it just right, and I jumped as high as I could, and I, I missed it by about this much. <laughs> the messed up part about it is Kareem, he never knew I jumped. He was just holding My boys from Compton, they got me on that one afterwards. Man, what were you doing? What were you thinking? You look stupid trying to get the ball from Kareem. But, doggone, I was there. I played in the NBA. I was so excited. But I wouldn't have ever, ever been there if, it, if I didn't have this sick obsession to play. All I could think about was basketball. My first date was the prom as a senior in high school. And I didn't think I was missing out. Girls were in the way when it came to my hoop time. Hey, look, baby, you can come to the gym. But other than that, now I like girls. There's nothing wrong with me. I mean, I just... But, but I just, I, I had no time. That's how obsessed I was. But uh, on the flip side, as far as a relationship with God, I was kind of the type churchgoer. I just heard someone refer to it this way. I was a CEO churchgoer. Went to church Christmas and Easter only. That was kind of how I looked at it. There came a point when I realized if something happened to me, I wouldn't know what would take place. I didn't know where I would go. I had, I just didn't know. I began to get more interested in spiritual things. You see, I always thought if I was good enough, if I did enough good things, enough good deeds, then I might get to heaven. 
Maybe. It wasn't until I read the Bible myself and realized that God had a certain standard for my life. And that I was not able to reach that standard because I was not perfect. The Bible, God says, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That included me. Sin, I realized, was just me doing what I want to do and not what God wanted me to do. The Bible says we're all born with it. I read that I was supposed to be punished for doing what I want to do and being disobedient to God. But that God loved me so much, he, in the person of Jesus Christ, came down to this earth and died on the cross and took the punishment for me. I was supposed to be punished. Jesus says, nope, blame me. When he hung up on the cross, he allowed God to blame everything I had ever done and ever will do on him. I read that if I believe that, and believe that Jesus rose from the dead three days after he was killed. And asked him to come into my life and take over. And I'd do whatever he wanted me to do. Whatever that Bible said, I was going to do it. If I did that and was dead serious, then I would become a Christian. And not just a religious person. But a Christian. A child of God. September 10th, 1983... I did that. My wife and I gave our lives to Jesus Christ. It was after my third year playing in the NBA. You got to understand now, and this is where this begins to really heat up. I was a starter my third year in the NBA. I became a Christian in September. In October, because I was a free agent, which means I didn't have a contract, I was trying to get a new one. <coughs> I was given the biggest contract, I signed the biggest contract I had ever signed in my three-year career in the NBA. And I'm thinking, praise God. About two weeks after that, I was cut from the team. Contract wasn't guaranteed. First time I had been cut since I was in the 10th grade. Well, two weeks later, the Milwaukee Bucks picked me up. Now, let's put this together now. September 10th is when I became a Christian. The Milwaukee Bucks picked me up in November. I had been a Christian for two months. And now I was cut and I was picked up by the Milwaukee Bucks. There was a pastor there named Julius Malone, who, as a new Christian, was there to answer every question that I had. I had so many questions. What about this? What about this I read in the Bible? What does this mean when I read in the Bible? Well, this person said this is the way to... What? And he was patiently would answer all those questions. There was also a chaplain there who did Bible studies for the Milwaukee Bucks, and he was with Athletes in Action. And he did a good job with us. I was with Milwaukee for a year. And then I was cut by Milwaukee. 
Well, two days after I was cut by Milwaukee, around Thanksgiving time, the Detroit Pistons picked me up. Two weeks after that, they called and told me that I was released from that team. That was three times in one year. Now, understand, <coughs> I could have been justified looking up into the heavens and saying, uh, God, I was doing pretty good. I was a starter and, uh, without you, you know. Now I give you my life, and I've been cut three times in one year. What kind of program is this? But you see, during that year, I had spent a ton of time in the scriptures. And I read that Bible constantly. And I was learning more and more about God and how God operates. So that when I got cut that third time, I was able to thank God. I don't mean thank him like, I got cut again, you're the man, yeah. No, 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 no. Lord, my wife is pregnant with our first child. None of our money was guaranteed. Always made the minimum wage, which was 40000 45000 50000 We don't know what's about to happen, but Lord, you know. Thank you so much that you are in control of the situation and you're going to work this out for your purposes. Thank you. Now, a lot of people that want to thank the man upstairs, as they put it sometimes when they win an award, what if they can thank him when there's failure or perceived failure? I was able to do that because I really believe God was in control. I get contacted by Athletes in Action, as it was mentioned earlier by Ryan, that it's the Athletic Ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ. The chaplain for the Milwaukee Bucks called Athletes in Action and told them that I was released and I was not in the league. And he said, you might want to talk to him about playing for your basketball team. We would go around with Athletes in Action and use basketball as a platform to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with anyone who would want to listen. So if we played at Ohio State and there were 15,000 people there at halftime, we would grab the mic and tell them about how Jesus Christ could change their lives. We went overseas. We played different places. One time, we just took a ball and started passing it to each other, spinning it around, doing tricks with the ball, and all of a sudden we had a crowd. And with an interpreter, we began to tell them about Jesus Christ. We played on the top of a jail one time. We played in a maximum security, security prison several times. Anything using basketball as a platform to get people's attention so that we could tell them about Jesus Christ. While I was with Athletes in Action for seven years, I was taught how to study the Bible. I was taught how to give my testimony about how I came to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. I was taught how to teach the Bible. I was taught so much. I was taught the difference in church and state in terms of what you can and cannot say in a public school situation. All those things. After seven years with Athletes in Action, 
I was contacted by the head coach of the UCLA Bruins. And he wanted to sit down with me and talk to me about becoming an assistant at UCLA. My last three years with Athletes in Action, I was a coach, player coach. Now he was talking to me about becoming an assistant, but you got to understand something. With Athletes in Action, we had some serious ministries going on. And we were seeing lives being changed. And people were counting on us. And I was enjoying myself. We were raising our support, my wife and I, because it was full-time ministry. That's where we wanted to be. And now here comes UCLA. The coach asked me, if I offer you this job, would you take it? Coach, I'd have to cross that bridge when we got there. He might have been thinking, what? You're going to do what? You know what kind of job this is? I didn't want to leave those kids we were ministering to. I felt called to do that. When I first became a Christian, I was telling everybody about how they need to give their lives to Jesus Christ. I, it was like I had a cure for cancer. And I wanted everybody to know. And I quickly found out there are a lot of people that didn't care or acted like they didn't care, didn't want to hear it. Athletes in Action allowed me to tell all those people. It was some of the best years of my life. Was I supposed to leave it? To go now that was a non-ministry situation at UCLA? Coach, I'll cross that bridge when I get there. Afterwards, a buddy of mine that was with Athletes in Action said, how'd it go? How'd the interview go? I said, it was good. I said, he said, well, did he offer you the job? I said, <coughs> excuse me. I said, he talked about it. He asked me what I would do if he offered me the job. And, and what'd you say? Well, I told him I crossed the bridge when I got there. You did what? <laughs> I said, well, man, we got the ministry here. We got, he said, hey. He said, have you ever thought, listen to this. Have you ever thought that God has been preparing you for these seven years with athletes in action to do just what you're doing in a secular situation? You ever thought about that? And let me tell you something else. You're going out as an assistant, but what if you become a head coach in one of those high-profile situations and now all the community and everyone knows where you stand? How many opportunities will you get to glorify God and tell people about Christ then? Probably more than you're getting here. Man, you can't turn that down. I called a coach back, and I became an assistant at UCLA. I was there three years, then I became a head coach at Pepperdine University. I was there for, I was there at UCLA four years, Pepperdine three. Then I went to St. Louis, was the head coach there for three years. Then I came here to the University of Washington. That was nine years ago. Washington is a high-profile situation. I had a sick obsession to play basketball, not for my purposes, but because God was going to use me in this game. He wanted me to learn it. He wanted me to develop a skill. He gave me some basics.
But I had to go work my tail off to perfect those skills. To this day, I'm not trying to show humility. To this day, I don't know how I made the NBA. I look back and say, wow, I was doing all that. I look back at it now, it was almost a supernatural obsession. God was preparing me. And after I was in the NBA, all that time I worked, I was doing fine. Once I gave the Lord my life, I was only in there for another year. Just one year. Now, don't be afraid of that. Some people feel like, okay, if I really get serious about God, he's going to send me some crazy place and it's going to be terrible. (laughs) I'm not exaggerating. The NBA was awesome. And I was awestruck being there. But the seven years I had with Athletes in Action, when people would see me and they were feeling sorry for me, things will work out, poor thing. (laughs) I want to say, are you crazy? I'm having the time of my life. This is going to affect eternity, what I'm doing. And I had a peace and a joy doing it. Whatever God is calling you to do, I don't care what it is, you're going to have a peace and a joy doing it. So God was training me when I was developing as a basketball player. But then when I developed as a basketball player, he said, all right, now come over here now. Come over here with this ministry part. And he was training me there. All right, we got the ministry part and the basketball. Now let's combine them. Now let's come back over here. You're going to be the head coach of University of Washington. If we don't win games, I get fired. But that's the number, number one goal. That's not the number one goal. Number one goal is to use the position that I have to influence people for Jesus Christ. That's the goal. Now, I cannot go out and and do that the way I'd like to do it because there are certain rules. But every chance I get, I get asked to do a lot of speaking engagements. I turn a lot of them down. If I didn't, I wouldn't have a life. Just speak all the time. But I rarely turn down opportunities to share my faith in Jesus Christ. The day that I lose sight of that, and it's all about me, is the day God can say, oh, I'll get somebody else in there to do my work. I don't need you. You ain't all that. So I have to make sure that I stay grounded and understand why I am where I am. It's not about me. All of you can't play in the NBA. All of you can't be in high-profile situations. But God is and has been molding you the same way he has molded me to do something special for him, for his kingdom, for his glory. And if he showed it to you right now, you might pass out out of excitement. So he gives it a little bit at a time. And there are countless stories in the Bible about murderers, shepherds, poor people, rich people, all different types of people that God had trained right where they were. The Apostle Paul was a murderer, was going out getting Christians killed. God used him to write about 13 books in the Old Testament. How about that? 
King David committed adultery, had the lady's husband killed. God used him, not only used him to write books in the Bible, but said he was a man after his own heart. I don't care what you've done, how insignificant you think you might be, or how great you think you might be, God is working in your life. Well, how do I know what he wants me to do? I would challenge you all, if you haven't made a commitment to Jesus Christ to let him handle your life, I would challenge you to do that if you haven't. If you haven't done it, you're, just, you're kind of missing out. It's pretty big time. <laughs> if you have made that commitment, but you're just kind of meandering through, kind of going through the motions, coming here because you checked the list, going to church, checked the, the box, I did it. You're also missing out. When you are serious about doing whatever God wants you to do, he goes to work. And he works that plan out for your life. And I don't care what it is, you're going to be so excited. We think we know. But you have no idea what God can do if you allow him to get a hold of you. I'm going to leave you with one little story. And I'll be done. This little girl went to her father and said, Daddy, do you have a nickel? Dad said, sure. Reached in his pocket, didn't have a nickel, didn't have any change. So he reached in his wallet, looked in his wallet, didn't have any ones. All he had was 20s. He thought, hmm, you know what? She's been a good girl. I'm going to just... Really hook her up. Give her a 20. Pulls out the 20, says, there you go. She wouldn't even touch it. She looked at it, she says, no, I want a nickel. <laughs> he says, baby, you got to understand, it's a bunch of nickels. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh-uh. I want a nickel, Dad. She knew, she knew a nickel could get her some bubble gum. That's all she cared about. I want a nickel. No, but you don't understand. 29, I want a nickel. You won't give me a nickel. <laughs> and that's what we do with God's plan for our lives. God wants to give us a $20 bill. But we think we know better. And we want the nickel. It's the same thing. Don't take the nickel. Don't do it your way. Take the 20. Do it God's way. Thank you. Thank you. If you mind, if I could just uh, kind of close what I had to say in prayer. If you all bow with me, please. Father in heaven, you're such a great and gracious God. Lord, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for constantly thinking about us and working out your plan for our lives, even though sometimes we don't think about you. Lord, I pray for everyone in this room that would, you would begin to make your plan evident 
if you haven't already. Make it crystal clear as we go, as they go, what you would have them to do for the time. Bless each person in this room, Lord, and let them see how great it is when they give you your life, their life, for you to work with. We thank you for it in your son Jesus' name. Amen.